Thanks for joining us for World of Lies. This is Purity for Life. When you have opened up a whole new realm of possibilities, then you can start really giving yourself over to your own particular lusts, your own particular idolatries. You go down that path for a while as a culture and you're laying yourself open. That's why truth has become so submerged and devalued and why deception can have free reign practically in our culture. America has often been called the greatest nation on earth. She was founded in the belief that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are God-given rights for every man. With these ideals engraved on the palms of her hands, she held out her arms and promised limitless opportunity to all who would come. But what has been the outcome and the fruit of such noble-sounding ideals? Listen to the following declarations and tell me what you hear. I deserve everything I want. My version of the truth is obviously right. The government exists to serve me. No one can judge me. How could the ideals of our founding devolve into such selfishness and pride? Welcome to the United States of Deception. This is Purity for Life. It's becoming increasingly difficult to avoid the hard fact. Our beloved America is full of deception. In this show, we're going to look at some of the main avenues of deception in our country. But before we get into that, let me play something for you called The Land of Desire. We produced this documentary back in 2018 for our Overcomers DVD series, and in it, we explored one of the most massive shifts this country has ever gone through. We live in an age of lust. Lust for possessions, lust for experiences, lust for pleasure, and lust for entertainment. How did American culture go from simplicity and moderation to frenzied activity? And how did it come about that the American church bought into a carnal and world-loving mindset? Well, we here at Pure Life Ministries decided to find out. Change was in the air. The Industrial Revolution opened the door for serious advancement in industry. Tycoons such as John Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, and J.P. Morgan led America into a new and exciting era. Inventors like Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, and the Wright brothers opened the door into amazing new technologies. By the end of the century, the U.S. was on the cusp of tremendous change. Those innovations provided aspiring businessmen the ability to manufacture products in mass quantities. Their only dilemma now was how they could induce ordinary citizens to buy their merchandise. In the past, if a merchant wanted to market his product, he would have to take out an ad in the local newspaper. However, these ads proved to be largely fruitless. Hundreds of them could be found crammed together in the back of the newspaper in small print. 
But as the country approached the 20th century, savvy businessmen began finding ways to present their products with imagery. Not just pictures of their products, but images that conveyed the sense that their goods would bring happiness to people's lives. Gone were the days of simple living with all its tedium. America was undergoing a complete transformation as a nation. The U.S. became the first country in the world to develop an economy built on mass production and mass consumption. Shrewd retailers learned early on that the key to success was found in their ability to market their goods. They figured out that it was the aggressive promoters who moved merchandise. These agents of progress began presenting a brand new alternative to the traditional lifestyle people had known in the past. Astute businessmen quickly learned how to stir up desire in people for goods that promised comfort and pleasure. As America entered the 20th century, marketing experts were in demand by retailers wanting to draw people into their department stores. Beautifully staged displays began appearing in large, bright showcase windows. Advertisements filled with imagery showing the good life began appearing in newspapers. American housewives were told that they needed to keep up with the latest fashions, and those who didn't were made to feel like old maids, out of touch with the in-crowd. The American culture was rapidly coming into a lifestyle built on coveting lust. A new way of thinking was taking hold in people's minds. Gone forever were the days of simple contentment. In their place was a life of constant, unrelenting striving for more and more and more. This pursuit of pleasure and possessions fostered restlessness and stress, and when left unsatisfied, frustration and resentment. And as went the culture, so went the church. Christians were not immune from the constant appeal to their lower nature. A subtle change began to occur in the American church. The Church of Jesus Christ has gone through many difficult times in her history. Times of persecution, times of deadness, times when the Word of God has been attacked. But none of it compares to the spiritual and eternal danger we face in our day. And for us in America, much of this corporate sliding away began when we as a nation became a land of desire. To me, the thing that stands out the most about the dispersion of this new value system is how it progressed. It began in the hearts and minds of just a few men who sought to advance their own wealth and power. And to accomplish this meant they had to change the values of the public. Without most of the technology and communication of our present age, that took many decades. But the principle is still the same today. There are still those few who seek to shape our desires in order to accomplish their own agenda. And that's where our interview with Steve Gallagher is going to take us. Today, I discuss with him three of the key players deceiving us, academia, big business, and politics. So Pastor Steve, your book, Walking in Truth in a World of Lies, is divided up into three sections. The first section 
is called Deception in Western Culture. And in that section, you identified six different spheres of society in which these lies are coming to us, contributing to and making up this world of lies. In this interview, I want to focus on three of those spheres, academics, big business, and politics. And as we read your first section, it's very clear. Life in America has changed drastically 150 years ago to today. And there have been thousands of books explaining these changes, but I want to get your perspective. What would you say are one or two of the biggest and most driving influences that have led us to where we are today? Yeah, life was pretty much um, the same for 6,000 years Mm. until the Industrial Revolution set in place, and then things started changing. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the uh, 19th century, radical changes begin to happen. You know, the the inventions of the day, light bulb, electricity, cars, planes, you know, all these things. Radio came into Mm -hmm. emergence in the first... 20 years, and then television, so on. Okay, so there was a tremendous technological move forward in the world. What that did was made it possible to give ourselves the indulgences that our flesh really wants at a level that the world has never before known. I mean, just think in terms of any king of history, you know, mm. back in the day, what king would have a microwave? You want something to eat and you don't want to wait for someone to go out and kill a deer <laughs> yeah. and, and bring it in and dress it out and cook yeah. it up, you know, several hours or All whatever. Right. No, I'm just going to go into my refrigerator and I'm going to get a chunk of meat. And, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everything is instantaneous. If I want something, it's there Right now, practically, we can constantly gratify and indulge our carnal desires. And as I said in one of the earlier interviews, it is the desire that drives us and propels us through the walk of life. When you have opened up a whole new realm of possibilities, then you can start really giving yourself over to your own particular lusts your own particular idolatries. You go down that path for a while as a culture and you're laying yourself open for all the lies of socialism that have come into our nation through you know, left-leaning politics and through the academic realm. You're opening yourself up to all that other kind of stuff because people are getting what they want. That's why truth has become so submerged and devalued and why deception can have free reign practically in our culture. One of the things that you did in your book was you described what it was like to live in the late 1800s. None of us have even the least bit of comprehension what that was actually like. And as we look back then to where we are today, we just see this great upward trend in so many spheres of society. Your book is a warning, which indicates regression and danger rather than this great progress. What are some of the ways that we have regressed and why is it so dangerous to be an American in the 21st century? 
Well, as I said before, the technological advances have made way for people to indulge their carnal nature like never before. Mm. So, you know, there are, there are um, degrees of wickedness. There are degrees of evil. For instance, okay, we had world wars in, in the past, you know, um, Mesopotamia and, and so on, the Persians and so on, the Greeks. They conquered people. There was horrible things that happened. But how could you begin to compare that with the carnage of World War One or World War Two, that was almost a hundred million people mm. casualties. You know, how could you compare the thousands that died in one versus the millions in another? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or the technological, like um, back in ancient times, you could find sexual figurines or drawings or something that could kind of give your mind. Uh, a sense about okay that's that's wicked it's evil to yeah. have that kind of thing and it was evil back then but how could that compare to full color you know pornographic movies yeah. where you're seeing every single thing and all its vibrant colors and and all that you see what i'm saying yeah. is degrees and the more or the deeper level of evil that more people can give over to is giving the enemy greater latitude mm -hmm. and influence in the world at large. So, yeah, we have progressed in a lot of good ways, you mm -hmm. know, like hospitals and medicine and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But alongside of that progress, humanly speaking, has been opening avenues that should never have been opened that have allowed us to go into very dark areas that have affected mankind. And we can never go back, you know, we can never go back to the 1880s and what life was like then. Mm. Yeah, just the loss of innocence alone for a six-year-old. I mean, we hear it over and over in the guys who come to our residential program. By the age of 10 or 12, I'm hooked on pornography. Yeah. Not just have seen it, but I'm hooked on it. I've I've developed a, a life of deceit and cover up and a double life by the age of twelve. <laughs> Unimaginable. Yeah. Unimaginable. In the eighteen hundreds, I mean just wow, you it would take you a long time, decades, to get to that level. Yeah. Last year Forbes.com released a poll. And they were looking at what are the most trusted uh, professions and the least trusted professions. Right up there at the top, we had nurses and everyone in the medical profession. We had teachers. And I expected to see car salesmen at the very bottom. But actually, members of Congress, the last and least trusted profession in America, 58% of people said, I don't trust them. And we've all heard the phrase, the end justifies the means, and that's why we don't, because we know that they're willing to lie, cheat, steal to accomplish their, their end game. But what does that reveal about them, and what does that reveal about our society as a whole? Well, first of all, I do want to point out that just because people trust the medical profession and teachers as 
the most trustworthy doesn't necessarily mean that's true either. Hmm. Because our teachers, as you know, one of the chapters in my book is all about the deception in the academic realm. Hmm. And the medical profession is full of lies, <laughs> you know, um, people being told they need surgeries they don't need and and drugs, the drug culture, the pharmaceuticals are laden with hmm. deception. So, you know, that whole thing, who cares what that poll says? It's not reality. Hmm. But anyway, the point you're getting at is that the perception is that members of Congress, meaning politicians, are the least trustworthy of everyone, including used car salesmen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, politics is all about presenting image. Let me say it this way. It's not about the reality of your character. Mm -hmm. It is about the image that you are able to put forth and sustain to the American public. That's what it's all about. And that's what people subconsciously understand, that all I'm seeing here is an image. And whether you're on the left side or the right side is going to depend on what you consider is truth. So if you are a, a leftist out of Berkeley and you're hearing AOC talk about the horrible things of American culture and so on, every word out of her mouth is dripping with truth to you. Mm. And you listen to uh, Mike Pence, and he's espousing more of a conservative viewpoint. You would think that's all lies. Hmm. You know, what you want is going to determine how you perceive truth to be. And um, and it's just a big game. That's all it is. Truth doesn't have much to do with it. It really is just a big game. You touched on the socialistic bent in academics earlier on. What are some of the other ways you see the academic system lying to us? The academic system is deeply affected by the scientific field. And they play off each other, really, is the reality. And the premise, you have to understand the premise in science, in the scientific realm, is there is no God. Hmm. And uh, we have to explain what is going on physiologically in the universe, past and present. Hmm. And so they go into their uh, studies of the subjects of science and all that's involved with it with the preconceived understanding that there is no God. Hmm. You know, uh, one of the illustrations I touched on in that chapter, in, in, especially in regards to evolution, is that empirical study of something. Like if you put two chemicals together, there is a certain reaction. Yeah, and yeah. you do that time after time after time. It is a proven fact by something you can see happening. Yeah, yeah. But so much of the scientific facts that are put forth and, and also the same thing in the um, scholastic system, the facts and what they teach children um, is all based on their own preconceived notions of life without a God in mm. existence. So they have to come up with different explanations and thus evolution. Darwin 
he said something to the effect, if I remember correctly, that he didn't want to believe in God because he didn't want to have to deal with the issues of his own life in that regard. He didn't want to be held responsible for the way he lived his life. So it was like he just deceived himself and he came up with this whole evolutionary concept. And that is what came forth out of the mid-19th century and gained momentum over the next 100 years or so until now it is pervasive in the academic system. Uh, Evolution is a powerful force in the academic realm because it has taken God out of the picture. And once God is out of the picture, all the Christian morals are out of the picture. Truth is, is relative, as we've been talking about. And all of that, get God out of the way, out of the, out of the um, narrative. And then we can present to you truth as we see it. And it is truth without God. All of the things that we've talked about today are really helpful in explaining why we've had this spiritual regression. And I think that hindsight being 2020, looking back over the last 50 years, a lot of people would say that the church failed in a number of key ways. And there's a lot of disagreements over how the church failed, what it should have done, what it should not have done. I'd like to get your take on that, because I think that what we should have done is what we should be doing now. Hmm. So what are some of those things? Well, to arrive at truth, you have to be close to the truth, which is Jesus Christ. That's that. And, you know, as I've said over and over in these interviews, We are driven by desire in life, meaning we humans. We are driven by desire. And if your desires are taking you away from God, you are going away from truth. So let me just bring it down to this. Whatever brings us close to God is the right thing to do. And whatever takes us away from God is, at the very least, should be limited and should be held in suspicion or Mm -hmm. highly suspect. Let me just give you an example. Television. You know, I've made no bones about it in, you know, many sermons down through the years. I don't have any qualms with Christians watching an old movie out of the 40s or 50s or watching HGTV for a while or something. The problem is that people or most Christians, I would include in this, watch it for hours. Mm. And they're not all that discerning on what they're watching. So in other words, they're opening their hearts up to all the garbage that can come in. You know, now not many Christians limit their television watching to HGTV, old historical documentaries, you know, movies out of the 40s and 50s and stuff like that. If they did and limited the the time, okay, I, I don't think the Lord has a problem with that. The problem is that they just allow their minds to be saturated with the, the garbage coming forth from our culture, which is anti-God and life without God. And they are being heavily influenced by that, and it is taking away the hunger 
to know the Lord, to walk with the Lord. So they'll put in their little appearance at church on Sunday, but the reality is through the rest of the week, their hearts are fully given over to the world and the things of the world. That's where we have gone astray for the most part, as far as I'm concerned. That kind of thing. Television watching is just an aspect of Mm -hmm. it, but it's like a microsm of the bigger picture, which is trading in the things of God for the things of the world. And here we are, you know, 2020, and the church is in real trouble. And it is not getting better, and it won't get better until Christians repent of their worldliness and and all of that and really start turning to God in a very real way. Then they will come near the truth, and the truth will set them free. I think when most people hear you say something like that, they might think, okay, I get that that would be good for an individual, how an individual responds to truth. But by and large, I think a lot of people would think, well, the way the church has failed is that we didn't get into the apologetics game quick enough, or we didn't have legislators in place who could stand on the side of truth. That's how the church failed organization and programs and influence. But you're talking more about the corporate body being in a certain kind of a spiritual condition. Do you really believe that that would have affected the culture or held back the tide of of evil in America? Yes, absolutely. Jesus said, you are the salt of the world. Well, what is the salt? It is a purifying... uh, agent. It's it's an agent that stops corruption from taking place in meat and so on. That is what Jesus was referring to. If, the, if Christians were living at the level that they have been called to live at, we would have had a tremendous impact on the culture. Would there still be evil? Yes, there would still be evil, but it would not be as pervasive as it is. It would not have control like it has in today's uh, world. And many more people would be coming to the Lord, for sure. Hmm. Do you believe that there's any hope for the church today to, like, have we passed the point of no return? I tend to believe our only hope is persecution. I tend to think that's true. Hmm. I tend to think that that is what's going to separate the men from the boys. That is what is going to drive true believers to their knees. That is what's going to cause them to really start crying out to God in earnestness. It will do away with all the gray area in the church. It will create a red-hot body of Christ. And yes, a world that hates them for it and persecutes them even more, perhaps. But wow. Man, would I love to see the church on fire for God. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I, I would prefer that to what we have today. As I reflect on the current church, sleepy, worldly, and lukewarm, I wonder what will rouse her. As Pastor Steve said, Persecution may be the best thing for her because many Christians will be deeply refined by the suffering. 
But this will also be a time where multitudes fall away because of the deceptions ruling in their hearts. Covetousness and the lust for pleasure is such a part of our national life, our corporate consciousness, that it can often find a place in our hearts and we don't even realize it. In the coming days, the spirit of this age will try to use these deceptive idols to fuse our hearts to his agenda and bring us down with him. This book is meant to protect us all from such a terrible fate. If we would all follow the path of repentance, of asking the Lord to root out all deceptions, this is what will allow the grace of God to make us go triumphantly through the great tribulation coming on the earth. This is what it means to overcome. That's all for this episode. Join us next week as we look at three more areas where our culture has been lying to us. The media, internet, and pornography. Thanks for joining us today for World of Lies on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.